Watch who? Sorry about the noise. Namin is playing the organ a bit loud here. <laughs> this is a Doctor Who podcast. Namin, keep it down. <laughs> I've told you, stop playing the organ. Anyway, I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> and I'm new to watching Who. Yep, watching for the very first time. Very first time. Yep, I don't think he knows Madonna on the organ. Unfortunately, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he's a very good organ player. Especially, I don't know if you noticed this, when he walks away from the organ and the organ continues playing. Oh, yeah, I've never realized that. (laughs) He's really good there. I'm like, skills. There's some skills. (laughs) Yeah, it's Pyramids of Mars this week, if in case you hadn't realized. Ooh, yeah. And Sure, I think we should go straight into it. I don't have any updates, but I've got a lot to say about the story. Okay, yeah, let's just go in. Let's do it. Because this is another major fan favourite. Like I say, for all of these, this series, this whole series is. Um, and I have no idea what you think. So. <laughs> I've not said a thing. I've not said a thing. Um, I really enjoyed it. Ooh, okay, because this was one of the ones that was shown on the 90s on TV. So I had this on video very early on uh it came out on dvd really early i've even got pyramids of mars poster magazine Aww. from the 90s a whole oh dropped it um a, a whole doctor who poster magazine dedicated just to this story wow oh my god <laughs> like, it's yeah it's a really good one and I, I yeah okay there's gonna be a few people that it's not their favorite but I think it'll be very hard to find people that have bad things to say about this story. So I'm glad generally that you like it at the moment. I did this almost in one sitting. I did it in one in one night. Do you know what? If when this comes out on Blu-ray as like a, a quote, that should be <laughs> I did this in one night, Sergi. <laughs> that should be on the Blu-ray collection. <laughs> almost an endorsement. Did it so I did the first two. And then I had some, I went, so context. In Cardiff right now, it's the first weekend of July. Whenever it's the first weekend of July, it's the Cardiff food weekend thing. So it's like a hundred food stalls and markets and things. And it's and it's literally five minutes from where I live. It's ridiculous. So I've had every meal there like all weekend. <laughs> I had my lunch there on Friday. I had lunch and tea there on Saturday. So I started watching this. And then I went to the market to go and get my tea. <laughs> and then I came back and I watched the third one while eating my tea. And then I had a little bit of a break. Um, I like put the washing on, tidied up a bit. And then I watched the fourth. So like almost one sitting, but it was definitely all one night. Wow. That is that is really good. That is amazing. That's a very I good did... sign. That's a very good sign. I, I did part one yesterday, and then I did it all again today, actually, the whole thing right through, and it just breezed part. I mean, I know it quite well anyway, but making notes and things, it just went it just went really quick, which is a great sign. Yeah. The story feels round and complete. We've not had anything, like, historical that way for a while, but this is new historical, it's the good, yeah. It's not pure historical. It's got your science in it as well. Yeah, it's it's like we're doing a historical thing that people, you know, but might understand as historical. But we're going to put our new spin on it, mm, which is what Doctor Who does very well. So, part one, we start off with some stock footage of Egypt, which is a nice opening, <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't really been to Egypt that much. So, I don't know if you remember. We went to Egypt very briefly in the Daleks' master plan with Sarah Kingdom and Stephen and the monk when they were getting the Terranium core from Mavic Chen. God, yeah, I forgot that. It, was, it wasn't It was a proper... There were some pyramids, but it wasn't like a proper Egyptian yeah. story. And then we sort of had... Tomb of the Cybermen was a bit, you know, we said was like Tutankhamun's tomb. But I'm surprised that all this time we haven't done this classic mummies in bandages style Egyptian yeah. thing. 
Because I was trying to think if one of the missing episodes was, but they weren't. No. No. And it's a really good, interesting opening because you've got, it's not just in the TARDIS or anything. It is. Uh, what's his name? It's Marcus Scarman doing the sort of Howard Carter opening the tomb. So then you've got that that intriguing opening of like what is behind that there's something behind the tomb and the green light. Ah. And then we have, like you said last time, the TARDIS spinning again yeah. in space, which you like. I do like that. And we're in the um TARDIS control room. Uh a bit brighter than than before. And talking about the TARDIS and the TARDIS, you know the TARDIS got that like humming background, that sort of mmm when they're in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's a 10-hour loop of it on YouTube, right? The sound. What? Um, and I slept. I did a bit of AMSR to it. I had about three hours sleep just with that humming in the background this morning. It was really nice. Oh, my God. Okay. So I do rec- – actually, it made me feel a little bit ill, a bit, like, weird in my ear, but it was quite nice. I did fall asleep to it. <laughs> just that sort of, mm, like, TARDIS noise. Was this a specific – someone has put that as – a 10-hour thing of yeah. the TARDIS. Yeah, you can get all the different... This was the 60s one. You can get all the different TARDIS, like the new oh modern one God. sounds as well. I mean, it's not like the like the engines. I think you can get the engines as well. That's a bit much. But um, I've been doing a little bit of AMSR recently. I had like rainforest and fire. Oh, I like fire. a bit of ASMR. ASMR? Yeah. AMSR? Yeah. ASMR? AMS... Oh, whichever. Oh, no, yeah, I, if knows. I overthink it, I get it wrong. So ASMR, ASMR. I'm going with. Uh, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I had that. The, the TARDIS hum does so work. So you had um, that woman, the talking woman. You must have. She's like probably whispering. Oh no, I wouldn't want anyone whispering to me. I just oh, but want... she doesn't. She, she whispers a bit, but then she's like brushing her hair, and oh, like no. it, it sings like that. She's really popular. I I used to like knock out with that. Oh, if someone's going to talk to me, they've got to be reading me a Doctor Who story or like a Doctor Who book, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> audio. <laughs> I love that would excite you, actually, more than... I feel well, a bit nervous that, some... like, Doctor Who makes you fall asleep. No, if it's like an audio book, like Tom Baker reads Pyramids of Mars, audio, the the novel, um, that's quite relaxing. Okay. Um, anyway, right, so anyway, we're in the TARDIS, and we get Sarah Jane wearing Victoria's dress, supposedly. I know. So that, do you know what? When that happened, I was like, wardrobe. Because we talked about this. They've not mentioned the wardrobe in ages. And suddenly the wardrobe comes back up. It's a bit odd. I mean, I don't think Victoria ever wore anything like that particularly. I wonder was... why they chose it. Well, other than the fact that they've gone in the past and they didn't want her to look too out of context, maybe. I think that's what it is. I think it feels like you could almost go back and add that scene later on because you don't, you want, they don't know that they're going to land in the past. It's an no. accident that they land because they're on the way to Unit HQ and they land in what would be the laboratory, but back in 1900 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which is a nice idea. So, but then, then Sarah is dressed up ready for all the action of being in the time just so yeah it's a bit of a coincidence really and it, it does it works and actually that look i was going to say later on that look while we're doing close watch let's do a major one um it's very much like the sort of hollywood curse of the mummies too it was what someone would wear in that sort of hollywood yeah, yeah. version of it as well so it's perfect but bright white in that forest when they're hiding later on. She's done it again. Same with the yellow jacket. <laughs> it's that like yellow knack all over again. <laughs> what she needs in this is those camouflage trousers from Genesis of the Daleks. No, she, <laughs> That's what she, she needs. Like her, a, also, she mentions she's from the 80s. Okay, I'm, I'm getting. I'm going to get to that. I was hoping I knew you would uh, pick that out. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll come back to that. They land in this um, historical house and we've got... Namine playing the organ very loudly. Yeah, yeah. It's great atmosphere. It really fits. And it made me think, just on a side topic, people that play instruments in Doctor Who, they should get together, our our side characters, and make a band. Right. So you've got got Namine on the the, uh, organ. On the organ. Angus from the Terror of the Zygons on the bagpipes. Oh, my gosh. Second Doctor on the recorder. Nero on that harp thing. Can you think of anyone else? Are they the only four I can That's think of that's played instruments? ever. Yeah, I, I'm sure there must be somebody else that we've seen play an instrument. I don't know. But um, I don't those know, four, not yet. There we go. I thought they could get together and make a little musical band. Because I think it's quite rare that you see someone playing music. In Doctor Who? Yeah. 
I didn't even think of Nero and the Harp until you said it. So (laughs) I can't think of anyone. Anyway, let us know, everyone, if other people that have played musical instruments to add to our band, I'll put a picture together. (laughs) There have to have been episodes we've watched, not up. Oh, yeah. It's like, I I remember Peter Capaldi played the guitar as the Doctor. Oh, God. Wait till we get to that. That was a disaster. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of that. I don't want to go off on one, but that was the worst idea ever. Um, um, well, I, I remember hearing about that being filmed. Right. Because I okay. knew people in it as extras. Oh, it was awful. Terrible that he played. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Namine on the organ. Uh anyway, he's in and what do you think of the the sort of the characters? So did you get what was sort of going on that so that's Marcus Scarman's house and he's sort of come over and the guy at the beginning has sort of gone missing in a way and that his friend turns up to say what's going on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all that. Yeah. So you were explaining it. I didn't then, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, the butler, Collins, is really fun. Oh, I liked him. I liked that's, him. Yeah, that was really that was a shame when he got killed straight away. But someone's got to get killed first off to make it a threat and a, and a mystery. Uh, so yeah, so you got Doctor Warlock. Uh, he gets shot straight away, and then they. Well, then I thought that Doctor Warlock's death would be the death to get us going, but no, way to lose a butler too. We the story. This is how the story as a four parter just goes straight into it because the Doctor and Sarah gets caught up in it straight away. Do you know why it works though? There's not mountains of characters to follow. You've got the mummies, but they're just robots. You don't need to, you just know that mummies are there. Fine. But otherwise, Doctor and Sarah, the Egyptian organ playing guy, the doctor that's possessed, his mate, Butler Gardner. There's like seven, and two of them get killed quite early on. So that only gives you five, two of which we know quite well. So you've only really got like, and then later, of course, like, what's his name? Horsehead. Sutek, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's very contained. Although it feels like a big, a bigger epic story going on, and we do have different locations, and it's not just all stuck in one room. I, I mean, there's a lot of the location stuff helps with that. So we're already in part one. We've got that chase in the forest, and the mummies are there. the The only thing that lets when you first see the um, you know, the mummies are in the sarcophagus thing. They don't. They look a bit fake to me because I think they've had to make them to fit the mummy costume in and it feels a bit chunky it doesn't feel very really it looks very proppy to me that's the only thing i would well, criticize mummies, i thought the mummies were going to be i'll be honest what's the names from mars ice warriors yeah i thought so here's where i was thinking i thought that they were going to come in because they look that sort of build they're quite and i thought they were going to take off their things and they were going to be ice warriors Oh, there's a twist. They should have thought of that. <laughs> and then but, but when they said they're robots, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and they're great design. Kind of like K1. Like the robot, the big robot, yeah. Yeah. In that way. Was it K1? Yes. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I surprise myself. Um, <laughs> they had that sort of build. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and that that sort of lumbering walk, but they walk they walk better. And to see them on film going through the forest, they are quite menacing. Yeah, and I like the way we've got all this Egyptian stuff, but actually, as we find out as it goes on, it's alien. It's not supernatural, and the mummies aren't mummies. They are robots. The explanation yeah. is there. I like to have that that scientific back. A bit like you know, with the demons, where it wasn't the devil or anything. It was actually aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I like to have that explanation, but you don't know that immediately. But I like how, yeah, we're immediately in it. We the doctor sort of is is talking about what's what's happening. He seems to have heard of Sutek and and all that kind well, of so thing. Well, Sarah. Well, she knows a bit of Egypt stuff. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know my that, Egypt. But... I mean, I know Tut and Carmoon. But no, Sarah seemed quite knowledgeable on it. She seemed like like he said, and she was, oh yes, he's from. And because then she goes, well, he's dead, and that's when. Yeah, I mean, I think unless she did a story on it one day, she might have written for like British History Magazine one day or something, <laughs> or done an article. I mean, yeah, there's nothing to say that she wouldn't know that. 
And maybe back in the 70s, people knew a bit more about that stuff in a way in sort of, I don't know, in schools and things. I remember... I think it just be... Sorry, I'm eating some fudge. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. I think it just speeds the story up, her knowing. Well, yeah, I mean, the other alternative is her to say, but who's that doctor? And then he can explain to her in the audience. But it's all sort of shared out. We don't need it to understand the story. No, you just need to know it's uh, some pharaoh guy that's trapped, that was an alien, which the doctor explains. And, like, from that time. And that's, that's kind of all you need to know. And I think it's literally just a speeding up the story device. For her to know and understand it, yeah, and, and yeah, it, the point comes across. I there was a documentary on Channel Four years ago about Egyptian. It was telling the story of the pharaohs and what, who did what, sort of thing. This one cursed this one, or you know, all the mythology of it all. And it was like all graphics, so it was like Ooh. space, and it was done in sort of very ninety sort of um, eighty sort of neon graphics with this voiceover and that's all it was and i i I was quite young at the time but it just seemed to be hours and hours of just this voice being like the pharaoh did this and then (laughs) cursed upon this and then did this and then did this but it was it was a bit of a sort of strange voice and it sort of terrified me and bored me at the same time (laughs) i remember thinking it was the feeling of watching this was not a nice feeling and i can't really describe it it was just maybe you had to be like on drugs i don't it was just really odd but i I need to look that up and see if i can find that because i would like to try and see it again but it was just odd and then whenever sort of egyptian mythology comes up i always think of that documentary on channel four about anyway um (laughs) so when they run back to the cottage, what's his name? Shot, uh, and they meet the brother. So we've got Lawrence is the brother of the possessed guy, and that's when they all chat about what's going on. And yeah, Sarah says she's from 1980. She, Hi, I'm a journalist. I'm from 1980. <laughs> yeah, and she says it a lot. She says where the t- the time period she's from a lot. So this story throws a huge spanner in the works. This is part of why nobody can work out when the unit stories are set. Because you know, I mean, like you're you're even aware of this discussion on when all those third Doctor stories are set. And this is why, because Sarah says she's from 1980. So that implies that a lot of the unit stories would happen a few years in the future because we're in 19, what, 1974, 75 at the time. So when Sarah joins uni, it should be sort of uh, sort of mid-70s. So this is a point where, yeah, everyone's like, well, she says she's from 1980 in Periods of Mars, so that means... Um, yeah. Some, uh, some people have tried to explain it away where she sort of rounded up where she's from. But if you're from the mid-70s, you're not going to say you're from 1980, are no, you? No, you're just going to say you're from the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't sound as right. Hi, I'm I'm a journalist. I'm from the 70s. <laughs> I don't know. But um, actually, if we just skip forward to that bit where the doctor What do you mean it doesn't Sarah... sound right? What do you mean? Oh, no, if you say, hi, I'm, I'm from the 70s. <laughs> well, the difference is I'm saying, hi, I'm from the 80s. Yeah, but she said, I'm from 1980. All right, it's a very I'm... specific year. Oh, isn't I see. It? True. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you more now. Yeah. But if we skip forward to um, later on in the story, while we're talking about the year, the bit where the Doctor takes Sarah forward in time to say, because she says, and I'm surprised we've not had this before in any of Doctor Who. She says, "Well, let's just go. We're in the TARDIS. Let's just go because I'm from the future. I know it doesn't happen." And he's like, "Well, actually." It can happen. And I think they've they've done that a little bit in the new series. It it, it comes up again and again. This is the explanation. I'm it's taken them like 13 seasons to explain that, but it, it gets then that sorts out any plot holes, I think, and explains yeah. away stuff. And that's a really good scene that. Well now we are here. Why don't you tune up 1980 and we can Well, leave. I can't. Oh. Oh, why can't you? Because if Sutek isn't stopped, he'll destroy the world. But he didn't, did he? I mean, we know the world didn't end in 1911. Do we? Yes, of course we do. Do you know what, though? It did make me think, while watching it, and watching Sarah in particular, that she's, as a character, she's starting to get a little bit fed up and tired of all this. Well, she's very 
relaxed in this. You know, at the beginning, she's sort of messing around and she's taking everything in her stride. Um, We've been down this merry-go-round before. With? Many. Like, (laughs) like, I'm thinking like Ian and Barbara, they were very settled and then they start getting a bit more angsty and a little bit more, well, why can't we, you know, and maybe not Susan or Vicky in the same way, but definitely... Barbara yeah, I see, and... yeah, Barbara and Ian, yeah. I see what you mean because you know that bit where they first, what's his name, shot, they're talking to Lawrence Guy and she's sitting in that chair sort of just like, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep her at the back, just like, just watch while the doctor, doctor's explaining everything and they're looking at that machine and everything. And she's sort of just having a little rest in the background like, yeah, we do this all the time. And that's the thing. That's how it started with Ian and Barbara. That it was, it's sort of like the sort of, yeah, this is what we do. This is the sort of like our life, <laughs> but hers is different in that she genuinely does want to go back. There's sort of more of a, a want to be like, I mean, that was the whole point. She was going to go back. It just happens to have ended up in a different time again. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just to carry on the adventures, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure. Put it this way. All I'm saying is the way that, it's, that she's been this season, I wouldn't be surprised if this is her last season. Okay. We will, we will find out. But she's still great in this. Her acting is still amazing in this. Oh, completely. And, like, it's that's... I'm just saying in terms of how they write for the character. I mean, it happened with... um, Oh, what's her name? Last one. Joe. Joe. Like, Joe, the last few episodes were starting to get a little bit tetchy about things, and then she met Cliff. Mm. You yeah. know? And this is how it happens. It's sort of... They write it in running up to it. Now, this could just be a one-off, but I'm just saying, I don't know what's coming. I haven't got a clue when she goes. She's been in it for a while as well. This is, what, a third or fourth? Third. Third year? I still can't believe. That shows what an icon Cliff was, because you mention it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We always go back to Cliff, don't we? (laughs) And Keys and Mariners. Cliff and Keys and Mariners. They are. They they have earned their place. Um, (laughs) So moving towards the you end, you deserve of... that icon award. That's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, obviously he's still coming up now in the Pyramids of Mars. <laughs> Going into the end of part one, where we get Namin doing the organ and summoning who I think he thinks is Sutek, but it's Sutek's servant. And the way that that, I mean, it's PVC man. I wrote down. <laughs> yeah, it's all in black. But the way that when he walks, he's got the oh, steam the and he kills it. Through him. And the and the scream at the end for. A, it's quite violent. I mean, this is a... Uh, you wouldn't get this in the 60s, would you? You wouldn't get... I want to know. We have, we did have violent deaths then, but no, it was very cool. <laughs> I bring Sutek's gift of death to all humans. The smoke coming through was like under him as he stepped. It was really cool. This is where, though, like, where I have a lot of appreciation for the show. Little things like that. Oh, do you know what? The costume is what the costume is. But someone's thought about when he about how he walks, how he moves. There's another one later on when he gets shot and the smoke goes back in. And that's there's things like that where I'm like, that's when it's really clever because all they've done is just reverse. But... It could have just been something else. And that's been a considered thing that this sort of exists as like this smoky being that's held in and he walks out of that thing and each step there's smoke. And it's it's things like that. You can have something very simple and plain, but the effect that's done to it is really striking. And that's where it really works. And that's when I have credit. That's when I get annoyed when they don't put the effort in on others. And I'm like, oh my gosh, because this is so simple, but so effective. I think yeah, it's the the sets are amazing within that house thing, really, you know. Period. You've got um, Namine Fezman's acting to that as well, which is great. Then you've got PVC Man, yeah, with the smoke and the voice oh, and the know. way it's just slow and considered. And he walks down slowly and he talks slowly and he's like, "I'm going to kill you," like that straight away. The, the power. It is very simple. It's a man in PVC with some smoke, but it just works. And that is a cliffhanger. Waiting for next week after that. 
violent yeah, yeah. thing. But also, the I think it is quite a step up in terms of gore and horror because you know when Sarah sees that face in the TARDIS in part one, she looks up and I think that's really ho- horrible. I think that looks really realistic, that sort of thing. I think that... It just reminds me of a horse. Yeah, but it's very much like the drawings from Egyptian. They've, you know, they've modelled it on real Egyptian. It things, but it, me I don't know. It in looks Wales. What do they call it? They have a horse, like a, a horse skull that comes out in the street. Yeah, it's a it's a tradition, isn't it? Every year, it's a I can't remember what it's called, like a horse skull thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of that. Oh gosh, what is it? I can't remember the name, but um, I know what you mean. I'm gonna Google Welsh yeah. horse skull. Yeah, but I think I think maybe because it was on film, it just looks very, I don't know, it's got substance to it. It looks a bit damp and wet. If you poked it, it would be fleshy. Mary Lloyd? <laughs> Mary Lloyd? L-W-Y-D? Yes, that's it. What What's the tradition of it? It's... Um... It's definitely a Welsh. It's a wassailing folk custom. The tradition tells the use of an eponymous hobby horse, which is made of a horse's skull mounted on a pole and carried by an individual hidden under a sackcloth. Uh, it's a tradition performed at Christmas time by groups of men who would accompany the horse on its travels around the local area. Um. That, that deserves a Doctor Who story, the Murray Lloyd. <laughs> the men would carry the Murray Lloyd to local houses where they would request entry through song. The householders would be expected to deny them entry again through song and the two sides would continue their responses to one another in this manner. If the householders eventually relented, the team would be permitted entry and given food and drink. They've done it in a realistic way. They didn't have to go that the realistic route they could have been a bit more fantasy about it because they are alien but the way that they've done it when when she sees that face and the terror in the face i'm i felt that oh, did you way... i didn't i like i felt it more later when we saw him sat in his chair and and all that and then the mask comes off and all that but that sort of face coming up i was just like okay this is a new this is an ex-villain this is who i Whatever this represents as our body. Well, going into part two, because um, our Fez guy's dead, because in part one, you think he's going to be the main baddie for the whole story. And then actually, he's gone. And now we've got Marcus Scarman. I mean, we've already lost. Uh, oh, no, we haven't lost the other two yet. But then it refreshes even in part two. There's more new when stuff to come. When did we lose come. the butler? I thought the butler went in part one. Oh, sorry. Sorry, the butler goes in part one. It's um, Marcus. Uh, the the guy with the shot arm goes in part two, I think. Um, but we get Marcus Scarman now, who has been hit. Like the makeup is a really good, it's simple really effect. Good. Yeah, and that actor you wouldn't remember him because he was animated. He was in the second Doctor's first story, Power of the Daleks. He was like the chief. He was in that one. Um, so he's great. He, he yeah, was really good he... apart from his fall when he died. That annoyed me. But otherwise... was, yeah, a bit over the top. <laughs> I, mean, I just thought it was a bit of a wet fall. But um, he's obviously just like gently placing himself down. But um, everyone else was really good. He was really good throughout. Mm, this is where we meet the poacher. <laughs> There's always a poacher up to no good. And we're getting Sam and Meg vibes from this poacher. <laughs> but he knows the people. He knows like... Well, he's obviously like the groundsman of this estate. So yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. force field, again, having a force field round everywhere means you can't have any more characters come in, which is useful. <laughs> um, but, I mean, as a side, he's a side character. He doesn't meet anybody else. And he's in it quite a lot. But but then shows that you've got that threat of these um, looming mummies that are just wandering around and shows the, the danger that everyone's in. Were you surprised when they turned out to be robots? I was, like I said, I was expecting ice men, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. In comparison, it was a surprise, but also it made sense for the story. Yeah, because you you sort of needed something to do your dirty work for you. They always need that, whether it's like a lower servant thing that they don't, you know, a tribe of something that they, or it's usually robots. So, yeah, it made sense. But when they come in and kill Warlock... And he's screaming. Again, I think that's pretty adult. You know, he's sitting there helpless with his arm and they're just like, he's like, no, no. Like, I think that was quite, for a kid's show, 
it's getting it's getting up you know it's getting, it's getting there more... it's getting there because actually going back to that horse but thing that appeared in the tardis if you had that horse thing that appeared in the tardis with susan she would just i mean she would get out there she would move out the victoria, tardis that would be her she victoria we've not victoria if Victoria saw that, she'd peace out. She wouldn't go anywhere. She wouldn't be doing anything of this no. if she saw that. <laughs> like, but do you think... So I say this. I'm thinking of the Harry Potter books here. And every year they get darker. And that's because she wrote it for that age group. And as they get older, they the sto- not only does the story get darker, but like the kids can sort of like... If you compare the first and the last one, yes, the story's darker, but also the material that you're dealing with is darker and things. And I wonder whether that's a little bit of Doctor Who in that sense, because the kids that started watching this in the 60s are either adults and they'll be, but it, it's not like the kids show that it was in the 60s. So you either have youngish adults that have watched it since they were kids watching it, or you've got that sort of teenager bracket who've come into it and i wonder whether it's because there's there's the question of like the era as in we're in a different time but also the audience has grown and grown up yeah yeah, i suppose that's a problem with the long-running show because you've got you've got that audience that are growing up but you it's still aimed at new audiences and family audiences and you've got little kids watching and this is when mary whitehouse started to get to complain about stuff that around this time especially this is when she was like it's not and i can sort of see where she's coming from a little bit i mean i love it but <laughs> i'm not a kid in the 70s so <laughs> you know but then i yeah i don't I, I don't know i just with an adult mind watching it now i'm like oh actually if that's aimed at like younger kids oh well, i sound really sensible all of a sudden also, I just think you. I think kids can just take more. I mean, you only need to read Roald Dahl's stories, and they are gross, but kids love them, and they're wrote, they're for kids. So, and when they're all around like the seventies, eighties, aren't they? Those sort of books, a lot of those stories, and kids, you know, we have this sort of idea of like, but kids like gross and disgusting. And they like, I know it's different seeing it, but I think it's because we're just so used to things being milder. And I feel like there's a move from the BBC here. They've got a younger doctor in and everything. They're not, you know, the last one, for example, the third doctor was very actiony. They're not trying to appease the 10, 9, 8 year olds. They're looking at that sort of broader target market that might include teenagers. Yeah, and I suppose you do have the Doctor as the hero still, and he's he's still a bit alien in this though. He's still a bit distant in some. He, he's very, but when he says we're all in danger, this is really serious. You believe him, and you and then and you see that Sarah believes him, even though there's still a few jokey moments and fun lines. The threat between them. feels as big as the Daleks. Yeah, it's only a four part story. Yeah, he, he and I think that's the Doctor bringing that across and saying that. Oh yeah, well then the, talking about violence, the poacher is crushed then between two mummies. I mean, what a way to go. I know. <laughs> that yeah. was That was that was a good moment. And then at the end of part 2, uh you've got Sarah in danger. You've got to have your danger because the mummies come in. So the idea is that they're building this rocket. So the Mars connection comes in. The Sutex is trapped on Mars and they want to build they're building this rocket to blow up whatever signal thing is hold force field thing is holding him so they got to stop the rocket and everything so then going actually into part three actually i don't know if you noticed i think tom baker's hair has been done between part two and part three because it's like twice the size and bushier but in the reprise from part i didn't notice that at all i don't know look but everyone look between part two and part three something's done to his hair it's more bigger anyway okay interesting (laughs) during that week um Going on to part three, then they leave Lawrence alone. Shouldn't have done that because poor yeah. old Lawrence dies. So, right. I quite like Lawrence for a bit. There was a moment where I thought he was going to join the team. <laughs> oh my God. He, yeah, he, I mean, supporting character, he really is. Yeah. There was a point where I was like, 
you know what? Yeah, you've been in the TARDIS. You've had like you've been to another time. You've got the science mind as well, but like you're still of it. Like he's a scientist of the past, so he had that knowledge. But also didn't seem phased by things. I was like, hmm, potential here. And then he just became really annoying. <laughs> and then, like, he just wouldn't give up. Which, you know, fair play, he doesn't give up on his brother. But it doesn't matter how much they tell him. doesn't matter how much it's explained. doesn't matter the fact that they've taken him to the future so he sees it. He still doesn't believe it. Is that his... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked him. And he got on with the Doctor and Sarah and helped out and got in and didn't get too overwhelmed by everything. But yeah, there is something I wouldn't like to see him in every week as a companion. No, I don't think, I don't think that would work. He'd get annoyed. Yeah. He would get annoying. I can see he how he get, can yeah, be annoying. Yeah. And it was when he, I mean like literally just chatted at him. He's like, huh. and then, you know, he goes and he's still, his brother's there and he's still trying to convince him. And there is, like you know, and he dies. Well, I suppose you would, you would, because he it's he doesn't believe it. He, he sees his brother standing there in front of him and doesn't. And obviously, the doctor. And actually, when um, is it when Lawrence dies, and then Sarah's quite shocked at that, and he's like, and the doctor's like, "Well, I told him, I told yeah, him," yeah. Was, and very cold. And then you know that shows actually the doctor is alien. That's a really good point. That that's it's really well written with those extra. You've got the adventure. It's a really good story. But then all these extra lines. The, t- the 1980 stuff and then stuff like that where the doctor's like... I don't even like... see that as alien though because actually he's, he does care about life. His character's very much like... Oh yeah, uh, yeah, he cares. He literally but... was like... I mean, he got told like three times. He got told <laughs> at the start, then he got told like... Yeah, and then just come in the TARDIS and showed him all that. Then after like, you know, all that happened and they like shouted at him about it and then even before they left, we were like... Do like listen. He got told like plenty of times, and he just. I didn't. swear, is that the rule? I swear, there's a few other people that we've had though, because they didn't listen to the doctor. That means they're not going to be a companion. I'm sure there's some other people that have done that. Yeah, he didn't take it in. It was a shame because early on, like I was like, "Oh, this is interesting," and he was older, and I don't know, I don't know not since Ian, and. Mm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, he, he got in there. Like, this could be to... interesting. I mean, I don't know. So this could be interesting. And then I was like, no, you're, you're going to die, mate. Like, you are so annoying. You are just not listening. They're trying to tell you. Like, they're shouting at you and you're just crying about it. It ain't happening. Well, then it's just really the Doctor and Sarah getting on with it. And so the Doctor dresses up as a mummy, which I don't know how out of bandages you can get that shape. <laughs> I know, <laughs> He's just yeah. in the costume. <laughs> That doesn't really make sense. No. And she did that pretty quick. I don't know how long they were there doing that bandaging, but getting him in and out of that. But then Sarah has to... So the Doctor puts in the, the ammo stuff on the thing, and then Sarah has to shoot it with a rifle from afar. Um, so on the making of this, it was quite interesting that Elizabeth Sladen was saying that... Who's the that? Direct, uh, Sarah. All right, okay. It was a female director on this one, and she was a great director because she... Did, uh, but she didn't really get on with everyone. And she was very much, apparently, uh, very much like the women have to be, you know, strong characters. And we've only got Sarah in this. And she was insistent that Sarah be shown to be firing the gun and that Elizabeth Sladen was the one to do it. Because they did have a stunt person to do it. But they were, like, but the director was like, no, you should do it. I want to show that you can fire the gun. <laughs> Elizabeth Sladen was like... I've never fired a gun, and I don't think Sarah Jane would know how to. The character wouldn't show, you know, know how to fire a gun at that precision like that. She wanted to. She wanted to play it like, oh, she didn't know what she was doing, and maybe get it wrong, and then you know, by accident, get it right. But the director was insistent. No, you do it, and you do it properly. And she says in her her autobiography, she she literally had like ten minutes. Here's how you use a gun. She never used it before. Shoot this gun. And no one told her that, like, the noise, and she it really hurt her, and she couldn't hear for ages, and she was like, there wasn't really much point to that. It doesn't really, you know, awful women's lip and stuff, but actually, you could have got a stunt person to do that. She wasn't happy about that. So, do you think it's in Sarah's character to fire that gun? I mean, I can't imagine her doing it, but you're right in that she's never done it before. But I can't imagine her firing a gun. I can, as in... 
in order to not like just in but like in order for that moment for that to happen and to save that situation and like you say by that point it is just them too and it's the whole world at stake she's seen what the future is yeah i don't know. i don't think she'd be that amazing shot to get that that thing really far away <laughs> straight away exactly just I quite blind she like... wasn't but but the way she did it was quite yep okay ready go there wasn't any kind of oh okay i've got to do this there wasn't any sort of that's what I, yeah i was going to say it needed more i think probably of that and more like but then it also comes back to this, like, I mean, like, it's interesting to say that was a direct choice because me watching it, I'm just in that sort of place of like, well, Sarah's just been doing this for so long. This is what she's just like now. Yeah, fine, yeah. gun. Mm. Yeah, so apparently this director was a bit, it was the same director actually that did Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Oh, interesting. Last. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it, it sounds like, well, from what Elizabeth Sladen said as well, that. They made she made them rehearse, rehearse, rehearse so much that they were just fed up of it by the time they got around to doing it. She said they were over rehearsed quite a lot and it wasn't particularly fun doing it. Anyway, end of part three, Sutek and the Doctor meet. So even by part three, we've not met our main villain because we've had we've had <laughs> so many different people <laughs> throughout. And then finally you get... It's like you're going to the next layer, the next layer, to like the heart We've of the seen big... him because he talks through that scream. But, yeah. I mean, it's really powerful when they meet. Because there's a point earlier when the Doctor nearly goes through it by accident. So for him to make that active choice to do it, it's really good. Yeah, and then going... And then part four is, again, completely different because actually the story moves on. Everyone gets in the TARDIS and goes to Mars. Mm. <laughs> they all get in. Yeah, We've seen yeah. a lot of TARDIS. Considering we didn't have much TARDIS last season, and now they're all everyone's all in the TARDIS and back and forth. And it's part of a plot point. It's needed. There's a couple of times in this where the Sarah thinks the Doctor's dead and he's unconscious. We're going back. To, we had that in the third Doctor, didn't we, a lot, where she yeah. was like, oh, no. Sorry, oh, no, I need to again. Yeah. <laughs> where she's getting upset quite easily. Which doesn't really tally with her knowledge and experience of how all these things work, in a way. That's just a bit annoying, because you know he's not. And she sort of knows that, but that's happened. To I think that fair, happened twice. Actually, when he was taken over, like that felt the most threatening and menacing. And I, I think that one worked really well. Because I genuinely, watching it, was like, I mean... He's either been taken over, or it's a, or he's just going with it as a joke, and you kind of needed that he's gone and her to be like, oh my gosh, like. And then a lot of part four is going through these sort of puzzles one by one, a bit like, and they actually say a bit like in the city of the Exelons in that I don't know if you remember with the little grey guy, yeah, Bilal yeah, 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 going yeah. through. It's pretty much the same, isn't it? It was, yeah, it reminded me of that, but shorter. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't have that floor. It was only but... two. <laughs> yeah, and that one was like many. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, and, you, and you're heading towards this centre, the Eye of Horus they're trying to get to, I think. And then it all sort of goes wrong at the end. And yeah, as you say, Mar- uh, Marcus Garman, you see here, he goes horse head. He's free. Sutek is free. And yeah, his death isn't great when he's like, I'm free, and then collapses. It's a bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, that um, was the only sad bit with him. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Oh, my God, does that... So everybody dies in this? Yeah, apart from the Doctor and Sarah. Yeah, our whole cast. There was nobody left at the end. No. There'll be a post-Thomas uh, nomination for... <laughs> post-Thomas. Post-Thomas. You know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, post I'm just thinking of hummus. Posthumous. <laughs> posthumous, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce it. Anyway. I can't think, but um, yes, you know what I mean. And I like the explanation at the end, even when it's not just like, oh, we've beaten them and he's got back. It's actually, oh, he's free. But then that scientific thing between the signal between Mars and Earth, you have that two minutes. That's such a clever way well, of explaining again, it. Cause it's true, because it's true, it's based on reality. It feels over when they walk in and he's free, that feels like over. And we know it's, we know we've got a few minutes left till the end of the show, but even then I was thinking, what are they going to do now? Because, like, he's out, he's free. Like, what are they going to do? 
and it was really clever. I really liked that. It's also the first time that they've mentioned that only the Doctor can use the controls. Uh, we might... Have we had that? We I feel like we had that somewhere in the third Doctor time, but I don't think that rule is always kept. I think it's sometimes forgotten and sometimes not. I mean, generally, though, it is always the Doctor that, yeah, the user controls. Uh, I wasn't sure if you said that to, like... Stop him, but then, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, he could have just said it as well. I think it's quite vague. Yeah. Because um, I'm sure the Master used the Third Doctor's TARDIS. Yeah. Or maybe it's Time Lords. Only Time Lords can use the TARDIS. No. No, he I says it's only programmed to me. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a... I wouldn't stick to that rule. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> um and then we have the fire at the end, which is a nice sort of time loop thing because they say at the beginning this priory burnt down and it, Unit HQ was built on top. So actually, because they were there, it, it tidies it up really Although, when nicely. was Unit HQ built? Because if this is 1911... Well, yeah, they said then the new building was built on top. Yeah, 1911, that's plenty of time to get to the 70s. <laughs> how old is Unit... But How long has Unit been around? Because when was London... What do you mean, London? So it was the London Underground thing that's then started yeah. Unit, wasn't well, it? Well, do we? We don't know because Sarah's from nineteen eighty, which then means the stuff in the sixties was the seventies, maybe. I think all Unit stuff happens about three or four years in the future to what it was shown on TV. So, so for fifty years there was nothing there, and then Unit. Well, no, no, they built. They built. The Priory burnt down and it was rebuilt and then I think they used whatever was there as Unit HQ oh, because okay. it is sort of like an older building. I don't think they built Unit HQ as Unit HQ because mm. when we've seen it before, it is just like a house in the country. <laughs> Top secret organisation with Unit Enter here yeah. <laughs> outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like that they still mention that and actually it was quite, um, when the Doctor was a bit miserable at the beginning of part one, she was like, well, just give up being a scientific advisor as if, He's like, actually, I want to go and travel now. I don't. I'm, now I can. I don't want to keep going back to Earth, which he hasn't. Or they're trying to. Yeah. So we've had that before. We've had this sort of thing. Of like he sort of feels trapped to that. Yeah, I suppose actually, the end of the third Doctor. He has been free since then, but he he was off a bit on Alien stuff. But he feels like, yeah, I, I, he's still a sort of mood in a couple of mood swings. This Doctor every now and then, which I quite like. But I'm glad you liked it overall. I did, like, yeah. This is I really like did. it's just best... quite easy to watch and follow. Yeah. Well, this is halfway through the season now. Gosh, no we're way. We're done. I thought we were still so, so early on. So we've How long's only... the next well, I... one? Go on, break it to me. It's only four. It's only four. Oh my gosh, okay. What have we had yeah. then? Four, four, four. We've had Terror of the Zygons, Planet of Evil, and this. We only had three. Oh my god! I know it feels like a movie. Feels like longer, but <laughs> no, it feels shorter. I I thought this was the second. I didn't realize it was the third. Oh well, and also everybody when Sarah messaged me yesterday to be like, "Which one am I watching? Planet of Evil?" And I was like, "No, don't watch that one again." <laughs> I had a bit of a. <laughs> I was like, "No," and then because I didn't get back to you, I didn't for like over a week because. We've been busy. We had a bit of a, yeah, yeah. So I just sort of like right. forgot what we'd last watched. And the trouble is as well with BritBox sometimes, so you turn it off your TV, but it carries on. So I'll look and it's like four ahead, but I've not watched them. BritBox has just carried on playing them for me. Sometimes Netflix does that. I just don't think I'm very good. But I turn the TV off thinking it's turned it all off and it's not. Right, okay. Well, I've, I'll so always I, remind I have you. I check because I'm like... <laughs> What if I actually watch? I don't actually know where I'm up to. I've had that quite a few times where I've started one and within about 10 seconds, I'm like, I've never watched this. I have to stop. <laughs> this is not. But yeah, I mean, you can see why this is such a fan favourite. So you've got memorable characters, you've got memorable monster and Zootech and the voice. Just the oh, voice alone. We have not Zootech. Zootech. <laughs> Zootech. I thought you said Zootech. And I was like, that's not right. <laughs> Zootech, that voice is brilliant. Because you can't do much. I mean, it's the actor in that thing. Yeah. That mask is great, but if you had a weaker voice, you'd just be like, okay, this is a man just stand, sitting in a mask. It's just really low-key but powerful. 
it could have been really over the top dramatic and it would have just been really like there, but it's not. It's really good. There's a really good moment in this. Um, when Sutex finally stands up at the end, if you look at the bottom of his seat, you can see a hand holding his cushion. It's a very really? well-known moment. Oh there is a hand. Like, it is a proper whole hand keeping it steady. As <laughs> It's like it's a famous like bloopery moment I'm where you can actually see the full see hand. Now. In that part four, go back and see. The moment he stands up, there's a hand, like a proper full hand of someone who's crouching behind that chair. Uh, but that also, you know, stuff like that makes them classics as well. Of so course, yeah. It's... Uh, no, it is good, yeah. And I really enjoyed this one. Some, yeah, I mean, I've watched this one a lot because it's yeah one of the early ones. So um, it's always going to be... I, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to see if everyone else does like this one as much. I think they will, generally. So the next story is called The Android Invasion. There'll be androids mm-hmm. invading. Do I tell you this or not? Mm, yeah, I'm going to tell you. This is my favourite fourth doctor story come oh out okay which i think will surprise some people because it's not as not as well loved going from pyramids of mars well it's okay you <laughs> so, like some of the more obscure ones so i do yeah i do <laughs> so okay. i'll be interested to see what you think of this one great i love it <laughs> i absolutely love it We've had a good positive chat this time. I know. It makes up for the last two, I think, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we will find out what um, what we all think of Android Invasion next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 2WatchWho, and you can support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash 2WatchWho. Thank you uh, to all yeah. our supporters. Yeah, see you next time. We better go and... Um, I don't know, go and have a, a walk around the park. Sure. <laughs> the, the, the estate here. Sure. <laughs> Make sure everything's all right. Go in the forest. <laughs> sort out, check out all the sarcophagi guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> to watch who.